All right, Karin, thank you so much. We had a lot to cover last time, and we have even more to cover this time. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, we touched on a number of great subjects, everything from your definition to movement, which was uh, quite a long chain that we broke down into individual pieces, uh, into just the general value of movement and how massage therapists can help bring that into their practice and, and, and the, the value and the benefits they, they can impart into their clients. Uh, I'm curious uh, to, to dive into a, a little bit of something that we touched on in the previous conversation, uh, but I'd like to, to suss out more and kind of investigate it. Uh, the difference between proprioception and interception. If you can d- d- discuss those two things and, and how they play off each other. Mm. Okay, now we are in one of my favorite subjects. So excellent. <laughs> so let me go a step back. So everyone um, is thinking alike here. So kinesthesia or kinesthetic sense means movement sense. And the organ of kinesthesia is fascia. So you can think about your primary senses, eyes, vision, um, auditory sense, your, your ears, and then fascia is really the, the, the organ of kinesthesia, so our movement sense. And the kinesthetic sense can be divided in what you just said into proprioception. That's very classical. Proprioception has always been associated with kinesthesia, and then more recent also interception. So proprioception, just summed up, is the perception, conscious or unconscious, of body alignment and movement coordination. And it's processed in the somatosensory cortex of the brain. And interception is, it's a little bit Harder to define. Interception is the sense of the quality of our movements, feeling the effects of movement on the body and our emotional states. And it's processed in a different part of the brain, the insula of the brain. So the insula of the brain, what other processes are carried out there? Do you know, like, what is the, the significance of the two different places of parts of the brain processing these two pieces? The it's the why I mentioned is less in the detail of what is processed there and what is processed there, but both are anchored or intimately linked to our nervous system. That's more relevant. So because sometimes the intraceptive sense is in its in its broader definition is a little bit pushed aside as not so you know the real thing is coordination and interception is these vague senses that is something for you know the the feely touchy kind of movement classes or but it's not it's completely anchored in our nervous system so let me explain this proprioception by definition includes alignment of the body so i recognize how my body is aligned how I coordinate movement, and also rhythm. So the sense of rhythm is proprioceptive. So for those who listen, just do this with me. It will make it very clear. Close your eyes. Don't open your eyes anymore. And now extend your arms out to the side to shoulder level. I'm speaking here in in kind of biomechanical terms. You have abduction of the shoulders, and it's 90 degrees. Hmm. 
And now open your eyes, look to the right, look to the left, check if your arms are at shoulder level. Excellent. <laughs> Yours are. <laughs> Kinesthetically intelligent. <laughs> awesome. This is proprioception. Yeah, it, it informs you how your body is organized in space. So for those who have their arms out, keep your arms out and just stay with the sense. If you are now sitting there for quite a bit and you just listen to what I'm saying, there will be a different sense. So it goes from the recognition of what it means to have the shoulders out to the side at shoulder level to maybe, hmm, how does it feel? My arms become, add a word, whatever is right for you. In your mind, go, how does it feel? How does it make me feel? If you want to lower your arms, pause and ponder why. Why do you want to lower your arms? And then lower them. <laughs> and so often answers I get are my arms get heavy. My neck starts to hurt. Um, some people are really good. They go like, this is boring. This is silly. <laughs> it was like, excellent. This is your interceptive voice. So interception is very, very different. Interception in, a, in its classical or in its, let me call it classical definition, would be the regulation of homeostatic needs or um, regulating homeostatic balance. So the sensations of warmth, cold, hunger, thirst, blood pressure, heartbeat, muscle activity, they are interceptive senses. And for a long time, interception was solely associated with viscera and the regulation of homeostatic needs. So to regain physiological balance. More broadly, however, and also with advancing fascial research, there is a broader definition of interception, and it is the perception of our emotional states of decision-making, of time, uh, a sense of spaciousness, peripersonal space. And with all of this comes a motivational aspect. So holding my arms out to the side is, is a proprioceptive action, but then I have a feeling that comes with it, and it will trigger an emotional response. Say, some people say, my shoulders hurt. Okay, this is a statement. My shoulders hurt. If I'm going to a gym, that very sensation, my shoulders hurt, might be the cue to hold longer, push harder. This is an interpretation. It's an emotional response. While someone else will go, no, then my neck hurts and it will hurt for the next three days and then I get a headache and this is not doing me a favor. I'm definitely going to lower my arms. So it's, it's again, it's, proprioception is very <laughs> neutral. Introception always has an emotional coloring and a motivational aspect and it can drive me towards well-being or it can drive me away. Huh. So uh, some of the things I'm hearing from this is that proprioception is objective, whereas interception is more subjective. And we have uh, this other um, piece that, you know, they say that you, know, you put your hands in like the superhero pose 
and you stay there for 10 seconds and that actually qualitatively shifts your mood towards the positive. And part of it is because you are saying it's the superhero position. If you just were to go into that position without having the association to superhero, it wouldn't necessarily have that effect. But because you attach it to the superhero position, uh, it, it has the physiological effect that you're talking about. Uh, our brains are very nicely in sync here. So <laughs> let me just, this is exactly right. So let me just give my word, uh, a few words because I summarized it just the way you basically explained it. So for me, proprioception is an objective hard skill. It can be described, observed, and assessed. It is the mover within. Proprioception holds you upright and moves your body literally and i associate it with action it's recognizable movement and then in contrast interception is a soft skill it's intangible it's personal and it's interpretive it is for me it is the mover within it is what motivates movement and behavior adaptations ideally towards well-being and it is gesture it modulates how we express. It modulates our body language. So what you just did before, you know, the, the, the arm up here is a part of the, the victory, basically a symbol of victory. And it's um, in, a, in a course I did a few times with Jap Vanderbal. He's an embryologist. He's an amazing man. He asked a very simple question that relates exactly to what we are discussing. And he was asking us this question, and I will put this question out now to those who listen. It's, it's excellent. He was asking, how many fists can you make? So if you are listening to this, just think about it for a moment. How many fists can you make? Hmm. <laughs> could go two or be a bit intricate, thumb on top of the other finger, thumb below, okay. The making of a fist is a proprioceptive actions. I have an intention, my nervous system coordinates my muscles, which via the fascial system will move my bones and I'm making two fists. But then there's gesture. Why do I make a fist? arm overhead, victory, that's a fist that has an emotional quality, or am I, am I crossing my arms in front of my chest, and I'm worried, and I'm hoping that good things will happen, and I have a fist in front of my face, because I'm concerned, that's a very different emotional response, if I'm about to punch someone, that's a, with my fist, that's a very different emotional quality, or a, a very different gesture, so it's exactly right, Kinesthesia encompasses both proprioception and interception, and they correlate. They will change each other. Hmm. So it's clear that the movement and the quality of the movement have an effect on the physiology. What is the value or what is that practically speaking in terms of conscious movement throughout uh, someone's daily life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, so uh, two things. A, in daily life, so the, the sheer ability to stand in an upright position and move, that's proprioceptive. So the more 
proprioceptively coordinated I am, the more efficiently I move in my daily life, which leaves me a lot of energy for other things. So it's win-win. I'm effective in what I do and I conserve energy. That's the advantage of proprioception. In terms of training, we would educate a proprioceptive sense very differently to an intraceptive sense, and it's more through clear instructions to help a client recognize the alignment of their body in space. Interception, on the other hand, is in my daily life, will hopefully adapt my or help me adapt my behavior so I'm unconsciously and consciously move in more efficient ways, recognize my own emotional responses. So maybe I need to actually add something here, which I think for movement, um, sorry, for bodywork therapists is as valuable as for movement teachers. And it's at least conceptually. Think or differentiate what feeling actually encompasses. So just so we speak the same language. For me, feeling encompasses both sensation and emotion. This is hugely relevant for for body workers. So a sensation is the feeling of something. An emotion is how I feel about it. Say, sensing the hands of a massage therapist on my back is the feeling of something. Touch perception. Feeling comforted by it or irritated by it is my emotional response to the sensation. A movement example could be someone does a stretch or a toning exercise and then it makes them grumpy or it it motivates them. So it's, it's an emotional response. And in practice, clients often tell us how they feel about something. They tell us about their emotional response rather than the feeling itself because they naturally mix, which is is okay, but it can be a real obstacle to physical progress. I'm sure you have experienced that many times the way I have. So someone has an experience of back pain and then they are afraid to do a movement or touch will evoke a memory of pain. So they are staying away from it. But it's not the sensation that's the problem. It's not the touch or the the movement, the sensation the movement creates. It's their emotional association with the touch or the movement. And then they can't move out of it. So although they mix in everyday life, in our feelings, the sensation and emotional response, I think it's hugely valuable for us as therapists to sometimes make a client aware of the difference and then don't react immediately, but sit back and go like, hmm, am I responding to a sensation or is it just an emotional response, which is important too, but different level. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I just wondered if I can make this even clearer as also because it's expressed in language. So for those who listen, listen to these sentences. The stretch is intense. Today, my back hurts. I'm feeling stiff. These are statements that describe a sensation, the feeling of something. And now listen to this. The stretch feels really good. The pain in my back is cruel. I'm tired of this stiffness. They express an emotional response, how I feel about the stretch, the pain, the stiffness. It's a little bit like what we talked about before, the I have a body versus I am a body. Language sometimes really does express the realms. Am I talking about sensation or am I talking about my emotional response to the sensation? Yes, language ultimately matters quite a bit because <clears throat> it is one of the one of the the few tools we have to communicate with our clients we have touch but we also have language and language is the clarifying is is the clarifying filter that we use to make sure that our our touch and our brain is on the same page with the client's reception of the touch mm-hmm. so i'm curious if you have any other ways in which you feel body workers uh, can better approach their work coming from the, the, the movement uh, therapist side of things. <coughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, um, it's a, a resource oriented approach. And that doesn't mean to, you know, to deny imbalances or possible pathologies or uh, a person's, complaint or pain not at all it means means balancing the scales so treating can you you can you define resource oriented yeah yeah resource oriented with resource oriented i mean to recognize the functional recognize a person's strengths and abilities to basically approach their weaknesses or imbalances in with a uh, in a in a more confident manner and it's for the client but it's also for ourselves so let's do a, an experiment here for those who listen have a look where you are sitting right now and look at everything that is green look at everything that is green and remember it Okay, now close your eyes. Visualize everything that's green, everything that you just saw, as many pieces as you can. And now tell me the blue things. (laughs) And I cannot be right. (laughs) 
I, I on purpose, I didn't take red because red is a red flag. But sometimes when we, and we are trained to do so as therapists with best intention, to look for the fault, to look for the imbalance, to look at the area that needs treatment or improvement. We do it with best intention to help a client to feel better. And this is a very good intention, but if all we can see is our imbalances and deficiencies and weaknesses, and then what what are most clients tell us when they come? Very few go, I'm just absolutely fantastic and I want you to help me feel even better. No, they're going like, my shoulder hurts and I have this tension in my neck, can you please help me with my hip? Yet they have their problems in mind already and then we see their problems and sometimes it's very hard then to see, hang on, whoever walks into my my studio has a lot more right things going on in their body than not. And if I can invest into what I call their somatic resources, the functional things, the areas of strength, make them feel confident in their body and their body's ability to heal, I think we can approach challenge from a place of strength. And what does a client need who has experienced pain for a long time? They need confidence in their body's self-healing. And I think we can assist our clients. So if I would encourage something in in for therapists and, and massage therapists, recognize and strengthen the resources in your clients as much as you acknowledge the imbalances and and help your client improve their well-being through um through the approach of therapy so i'm going to come up with a a specific specific example of how i think this could play out in the massage room and then i'd love if you could contribute one as well to see if we can get Mm -hmm. some specific um some specific uh, examples so the thing the thought that came to me is someone comes in uh talking about how they have limited range of motion in their shoulder and neck and they're experiencing pain uh, when doing so, when trying to use that arm. And instead of focusing on what they can't do or when they feel pain, uh, to also ask, well, what can you do? What actions are you able to do? Uh, What normal activities have you not had to stop doing because of this? What normal activities do you normally like to do and can continue to do? Uh, To at least emphasize the 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 parts of their life that are are going according to plan despite this uh this bump in the road exactly right and then also say from the point of movement i think it's there's great value in working let me call it locally so yeah do work around the shoulder the shoulders and the neck because a client needs to feel hurt and they need to feel what is important to them is addressed and there's definite value in there. And then watch the language, what a lot of movement teachers do. And I'm, I'm not sure about body work um, professionals, but I hear movement teachers, they use words of caution a lot. Attention, pay attention. If it hurts, don't do. If this happens, don't do. There's so much no and don't. And wow, pay attention going on. It's like, how is this person ever going to feel competent and comfortable if you're making a big fuss about all the things that could go wrong? So 
words of encouragement when you work locally. Work, maybe one of the shoulders is good. Well, work there and praise them of what they can do and that it looks good to you, that you think this will make progress. And then also move to other parts of the body, say, you know, down the lower back to the pelvis because it relates. The pelvis is the base of support for the ribcage, which is the base of support for the shoulders. And move maybe in an area where they feel already comfortable. They're like, oh, I'm actually quite capable, yeah? <laughs> Rather than, oh my God. <laughs> As someone who has dabbled both in uh, in the bodywork world with all the trainings that you've done with structural integration and with Tom, with Earl, uh, James Earls, uh, and of course your your extensive experience in history and movement. I'm wondering if there is some advice you have for massage therapists that want to engage with movement therapists and how can they collaborate well? How can they have really good, effective conversations and, and, and start taking these two separate fields and start to help accentuate the, the positives and, and how they can collaborate better. The word that just came to my mind as you were speaking was curiosity rather than preconceived ideas to be curious about the other's work and then let them talk on how, you know, a bit of what they do can be incorporated into my own realm of, of movement so for a body worker to be curious what a movement teacher is doing and maybe ask them I have this client with this do you have a movement in mind I could you know help this client with most people movement teachers I know they are very happy to share <laughs> and listen and learn from from bodywork professionals and so yeah exchange with curiosity You've had a lot of success in, in creating a business around uh, movement therapy and working with body workers and osteopaths and physiotherapists. I'm curious if you have a most memorable failure, either as a practitioner or as a teacher uh, in, in, in all of your, your extensive experience. Oh, plenty of them. <laughs> At one point, I jokingly offered to the people in our education courses to give them money for not reading ever again anything that I had written in the past. <laughs> so, yep, I have plenty of them. But a, a really memorable story, maybe a bit smaller than this, it's, um, it's not only about failure, it's more... <laughs> It's more about a mistake that I consciously made, which is maybe a little bit different, something different to think about. And uh, yeah, you heard right, it was an intentionally made mistake. And it was, uh, it was on a large scale. It was not with one client. It was actually with a, a group of 30 people. And it, it started when I restructured the third of the slings in motion courses it's a series of education courses, and this is the last one and i i wrote this course in solitude for six weeks on a small island and it was a oh, it was a, a tensegrity coming together in my in my mind of exercises how they link everything informed everything else and it turned into a monstrosity of a course the course book itself had 400 pages it was 
it was ridiculous. And my office, when I sent to Jim, they're like, this is crazy. This is a three-day course. This is not going to work. And all I could say was like, I know. This is a big mistake. I, I know it, but I can't take anything out of it because it's integrity. If I take this piece out, this doesn't work. And I entered this course knowing I'm making a big mistake and for the life of me, I couldn't change it. So <laughs> it's always the first people in a the course. They are pioneers. You know, they, they are the adventurous ones. So they, they came right along. And we had this overcrowded four, three-day education. And at the end of the third day, it was Sunday evening. The bodies were tired. The minds were overloaded. And at the very end of this course book, there was a headstand. A headstand at the end. And I was like, oh, I really, I need to skip this because this is dangerous. And then a few people were like, this is it. We want to do this. I was like, okay. If you want to do it, let's do this. And it was it was disastrous. It was unprepared. 30 people in a room, all ages, standing on their heads. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, this this is beyond uh, irresponsible. And then they're going out teaching it. You can, yeah, you can just see the, the ripple effect. And so uh, I went home after these three days. And then I reflected uh, on the course. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done I can't take it back. Well, live and learn, remove a lot. So I knew what I had to remove. We extended the course to a four-day course and was like, okay, well, I hope they are resilient. And then it was a, it was a few months later that I walked through Bern, my hometown in Switzerland, and I met one of the ladies who attended the course. She's a physiotherapist um, and just an incredible woman and we got talking and I said you know this course you did with me I I don't know what to say but you know at least now I need to apologize for what I did to all of you that was just irresponsible you know and then doing this headstand and what she said was this she had a history of back pain and when she was pregnant with her second child, it became very acute. She uh, was meant to have an operation. It was a big, long-lasting, negative spiral in her life. And the, all of the movements she did, you know, they helped, but there was still a memory, just this latent sense of, of this injury in her back, even after a few years. And her doing this headstand during this course, she said it was a flash of memory when, where she went back to the time before she had the, the back pain episode. And she used to practice yoga and she felt fully functional and courageous in her movements then. And standing on her head in this course re-evoked that, that knowledge in her that she is a fully capable body who can play and she said it was a turning point and that just changed so much for her so <laughs> that was good for me to know now the, the essence of the story is not that all of my mistakes have a, a positive ripple effect I'm sure many of them have an even worse ripple effect than I even know of which is kind of scary 
but it made me, it made it very clear to me that every mistake has an other side. It's not either or, it's both and more, always. And it makes me, I don't like to make mistakes at all, but it makes me to look more courageously at my own mistakes. Because sometimes when we make mistakes, we want to shy away, we want to go like, oh, I just pretend this didn't happen. But so I can actually look and go, God, that's not good. <laughs> Certainly don't feel good about it. But maybe there was something else that I don't know of. Another aspect that actually was better than I, you know, than I right now know that there was. So it's, it's, it takes the self judgment or it lessens the, the self-judgment by knowing every mistake has other sides. And if you could go back and redo that time on the island where you came up with this 400-page uh, monstrosity, as you put it, and uh, and saw no other way that it, it had tensegrity and so you couldn't pull a single piece out, and if you could go back to that person on that island... Uh, what would you what would you do differently? You know, Haley, I think I I couldn't do anything different. I know this was necessary. I, it was just a necessity. What I did, I committed to being more thoughtful in the present and the future. But if I could go back, I I don't think I could do it different. I I, I don't. I wouldn't even know what to advise myself to do it different. Uh, maybe that's a bit lack of insightfulness, but yeah, we'll sit with it for a little longer. And yeah, well, because I'm, I'm curious, because you you then decided to take pieces out and mm -hmm. extend the course to four days, mm -hmm. which I assume improved the the course and the accessibility and the ability for the participants to digest it and integrate it. So would that not be your would that not be something you would suggest to your to your past self, if you will? I think the thing is, without the experience of this three-day course, I wouldn't, no, I actually can say this, without the experience of this three-day course, I wouldn't have known what to take out and how to improve it. I had to have the experience. I had to fail to improve. What is a habit or a behavior that you have adopted in the last few years that has changed your life for the better? Yeah. when I feel I'm drowning in work and I have deadlines coming in at me from all sides, I'm going or I'm making myself go for a very slow and very long walk. Although everything in me, of course, wants to do the opposite, work more, work faster, like, no, decelerate. <laughs> and it really works. So for you, decelerating is like a long, slow walk. And, and I think the key component here is we talked about like the, the proprioception and the interception. It's not that it's a long walk. It's that it's slow, that it feels the slowness is the qualitative aspect that actually has a physiological uh, effect for you and your ability to, to manage the workload. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And there is, can I add another one? Because yeah. there's a second habit and it actually relates back to <laughs> the mistake. And it also relates back to what we spoke about before, kinesthesia and 
and training kinesthetic intelligence consciously. And that relates back to then improving life in general. And it's the habit of laughing at myself. So I'd like to, to put this into a story. And I think it will quite nicely tie these elements together. And it was a story. It's, it's from Australia. When I lived in Australia, and my best friend Martina and I, we used to go for a run and we lived right next to the beach. So if you're listening, you need to envision this. There are two women, you know, suntanned in Australia, looking fit and healthy. We are running along the beach. And as we are running on one side, there is a, a, a an exercise area where young guys were doing chin-ups and pull-ups and kind of all kinds of fancy things on bars. And Martina and I were looking over and going posers. And so we kept running. And so we did our run, came back, and then they were still doing their, you know, their, their hanging fancy exercises there. And her and I were going like, let's do this too. So um, we went to the the free bar, uh, jumping up on the bars, hanging, and then one of us is going, can you pull yourself up? And uh, probably me, and then she's going like, no. I was like, me neither. I was like, oh, um, I think it's the bars. My hands are really sweaty. Yeah, I'm sliding. That's That's not good at all. Let's get down. So we got down. Now, true story. We are taking off our shoes, put our sweaty, dirty socks on our hands, back up onto the bars. The guys, of course, they are already laughing. So we're hanging there now with dirty socks on our hands. And uh, I'm going like, can you pull yourself up now? She's like, no, a little bit. Not even bent my elbows. And so we're like, how do we get out of this gracefully? And we're both just laughing. We're like, we are not getting out of this with any grace. Just let's get down, take the socks off our hands (laughs) and walk off with our head held high. (laughs) And then to just add oil to the fire we walk around the pet playground and the six-year-olds are just going from bar to bar to bar. And I was like, oh, really, really? <laughs> so we were laughing, really laughing like, uh, about our own failure, but it was also for, for us, it was such a, a good story because it, I think that's where the work we do and the movements we do are really um, transpiring into daily life because what we did Instead of going, well, we didn't train that kind of strength, so we are plain weak. That's really all there is to it. We were blaming the bar. We're blaming an inanimate object. It's the bar's fault. If they would have put bars with better grip, we could do it. So blame something. Or someone else would maybe divert, distract themselves from themselves and go like, oh, these young guys, you know, they're just younger. They have more time to do things like this. I don't because I'm busy. So that's distracting myself from my interceptive response um, or diminishing others' achievements. Neither is really good. So I think th- this is the lesson, like what do we do in on the mat? Being aware of our emotional response patterns really benefits daily life. Don't blame the bar, 
Don't diminish others' achievements. Don't blame yourself. Just recognize that you neglected a part of your body and then make a choice. Do you want to do something about it or not? So Martina and I, uh, we were so determined. We bought a bar for the door (laughs) and never used it. (laughs) So we did a lot of laughing about ourselves. Like, oh, it's not happening. (laughs) Well, I think also the, the willingness to laugh at yourself allows you to carry it without a heaviness. Uh, if if you were to distract yourself by judging others or judging the bar or however, uh, then there's no capacity to grow from that particular instance. There's no there's no lesson to be learned. There's just a, a, a finger to point. So we're gonna we're gonna finish up here, and and I've really enjoyed my conversation with you. But I know that you want to lead us through uh, a final movement uh, as we conclude here. My only request is that it's not a bar that I have to pull myself up on. <laughs> it's not. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So should we do that? Let's do it. Fantastic. Okay. So it's an exercise that is beneficial for anyone. It can be done in sitting. So a client or yourself, you can sit on a chair. And if you do it on a chair, you just need to shuffle forward so the weight is evenly distributed on your sit bones. Your sit bones are fairly close to the edge of the chair. Feet distance and parallel, knees as well parallel. For those who want to do it on the floor, has it a little bit of different effect. You would go into what we call the 90-90 kneeling position where one leg is in front, the knee is at the 90 degree angle, and one leg is bent back, knee at the 90 degree angle. So Exactly the same um, in the upper body can be done sitting or 90-90 kneeling. Now, what you need to actively do is elongate the spine. So reach the top of your head up towards the ceiling and then raise your arms overhead as far as you are comfortable and then spiral towards the leg that is in front or if you're sitting towards your right side. So right leg in front, you're spiraling towards the right side. And then place your left hand against the outside of your right knee, palm facing the knee. Take your right arm out to the side at shoulder height and then bend your right elbow so the palm is facing your chest. The right elbow is just in front of the shoulder. Actively still elongate the spine and then press your left hand against the outside of the right knee and then release the pressure. Go again. So you press your right hand, left hand, sorry, against the outside of the right knee and then release. You feel that when you press your hand against the knee, you are spiraling further towards your right. And when you let go, of the pressure, hand against the knee, your spine derotates slightly. Now synchronize it with the breath. So you inhale, press the left hand against the right knee, spiral around further. Exhalation, release the pressure of the hand against the knee, derotate the spine or let it derotate. Go again a few more times. So by pressing the hand against the knee and elongating the spine, 
you are spiraling up and around in your spine. By releasing the pressure of the hand against the knee, your spine naturally derotates a little bit. What it does, it elastically strengthens an oblique abdominal sling that you recruit in every step you take. It also mobilizes the ribs three-dimensionally, and again, that's what you need in every step you take. And it also promotes glide between the abdominal muscles, which is necessary to stabilize and move efficiently in, again, every step you take. And then you can release the pressure of your left hand completely, center your spine, so you derotate it completely face forward. And then if that feels comfortable in your body, take your arms overhead one more time and spiral just once towards your left side. And then you can come back to the center. So we call this a, an unwinding, an unwinding of the pattern. In sitting, you just stay seated, and if you're kneeling, bring your right leg back so you're in a high kneeling position, so kneeling on both knees, and then both in sitting and in kneeling, you tilt your pelvis back, so you start to curl your spine, so long flexion through the spine. When you're kneeling, you're also sitting halfway back, so you just open the, the lower back, and then elongate the spine again, center the pelvis. In kneeling, take your left leg to the front. 90-90 kneeling again. Elongate the spine. And then raise both arms overhead as far as comfortable. Spiral towards your left side. Lower your arms. And then place your right hand against the outside of your left knee. Bend your left elbow so your left hand is facing the body. Keep your elbow slightly in front of the shoulder. And then press your right hand against the left knee, spiral around, and then release the pressure. Allow your spine to derotate. Inhalation is spiraling up and around. The exhalation is a natural recoil. Keep going a few more times in your own time and breathing rhythm. This is an absolutely beautiful exercise for everyday functionality. If you are familiar with the anatomy trains body map, it's recruiting both spiral lines. They weave around your body like a double lattice, so they dynamically stabilize and move your body. And they promote efficiency in walking. And you're also engaging your deep front line. It's the myofascial core of your body. Uh, Body-wide dynamic stabilizers are absolutely beautiful for everyone. And then if you have finished about the same amount of repetitions to the left side, you can center your spine. So bring it back to um, a centered alignment forward. Take your arms overhead one more time and then spiral to the right. Unwind the pattern. Come back to center. If you are sitting on a chair, both hands on your thighs, shoulders relaxed, spine elongated. If you are in the kneeling position, take your leg back. So in high kneeling again, 
And then just once again, tilt the pelvis back on the chair. You're rolling behind the sit bones. You have a long flexion through the spine, a symmetrical movement, so bilateral movement to balance right and left. And then sit up tall again or kneel up tall and just lift your sternum towards the ceiling, so long extension, and then center the spine. I think this is so doable on a as part of a or to complement a bodywork treatment and it's so beneficial for daily life for athletic activities and just building those small pieces together and that in turn builds small pieces of confidence in your client and to be able to move effectively safely and 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 hopefully pain-free exactly very good Okay, Karin, thank you so much for all of your time and expertise and experience. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Same. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well. Be well.